This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, friends. It's Annie Grace, and I am answering questions from readers. I am the author of This Naked Mind. And today's question is from Charlotte. She says, hi, Annie. I'm really enjoying your answer sessions. I have another question. How to ride out urges and cravings to drink when you don't want to drink, but you're really just doing so because you've done it for so long and you're really afraid that you won't be able to cope without it. Rationally, I know that drinking only causes me pain and makes my life unbearable, but I have rheumatoid arthritis and I live in chronic pain and I know that the alcohol makes it worse, causing inflammation, but I get to that point every evening where I have to decide whether I can cope without alcohol before the shop shuts at 10 p.m. I feel panicky and very unsettled during this time. The dissonance is very high. Sorry this is scrambled, but I'd love some advice on how to stick to your guns when cravings, urges, or the fear of coping with being alcohol-free for the evening strike. Many thanks, love, Charlotte. So this is a really good question and it's so important. And this video might be a little bit longer because I did a big, huge, deep dive into the number one thing that I think is most important for overcoming craving and i'll have some other tips too but where we're going to start today is we're going to start with what is a craving and we're going to look at it both neurologically and emotionally and emotionally obviously a craving is an unconscious or conscious belief that alcohol is doing something for you that it's going to provide some relief or pleasure or pain and emotionally my best advice on how to overcome those unconscious beliefs because your unconscious and your subconscious mind actually dictate what you desire, what you want, is through liminal thinking. And liminal thinking is just becoming aware of why you believe what you believe and then comparing that against reality. And in my book, it's made up of nine different liminal points and it takes you through if you're drinking for relief or stress or having a good time, etc. And so reversing the years, decades, sometimes lifetimes of unconscious conditioning around alcohol and getting to the bottom of these beliefs that we have. We believe alcohol relaxes us like we believe the sky is blue, at least I know I did when I was drinking, and reversing that so that we really come to a point where we know that alcohol isn't doing us any favors and then we believe that. That really takes care of the emotional part of it and that's really important. And so I'd recommend doing that. There's blog posts on thisnakedmean.com backslash blog with all the liminal thinking points are right there. So you don't need to buy the book. You can just go and read through the blog posts. Um, But, you know, get the book, deal with the emotional part. I think that's really important. But there's this whole other aspect to cravings that's very physiological and it's actually neurological. And it involves different parts of your brain if you've been drinking for quite a long time. And there's two aspects. There's the habitual nature of it and habits by their very nature mean that we think less consciously, right? So if you get in the habit of driving to work, you can often drive to work without even thinking about it and you won't even remember the drive. That's because pathways have actually been formed in your brain within your neurons, these neural pathways, where all of this stuff happens automatically. And that stuff happens inside your brain with drinking. You know, Charlotte probably after work every day till about 10 p.m. when shop closing time, 
these habits are very strong. And so interrupting these habits and interrupting those neural pathways and laying down new neural pathways is really important. And so I'm gonna to get to how to do this. Um, besides the habitual nature, there's also, you know, the dopamine response. And often after you've been drinking for years and years, there's a theory and it's called the insensitive dopamine sensitization theory. And it's by um, Kent Burridge. And what he theorizes is that eventually you become hypersensitive to a certain substance. So, uh, and this has been demonstrated in you know rats and different animals where eventually something changes over to the brain and then when that substance is introduced or even when the triggers preceding that substance are introduced, think the bell in the Pavlov's dog experiment or the bottle of wine, you know, as you're pulling it from the shelf, dopamine releases to such a degree that actually what happens is your ability to make good decisions is reduced. And so your prefrontal cortex, which is your human side of your brain, your ability to really make good thoughtful decisions based on long-term goals actually is reduced. And your midbrain, which is the survival part of your brain, the part that takes over in a car wreck, takes over and starts running the show and you are faced with cravings which are much more than wanting. They are very intense. And there's actually been MRI studies done where somebody, you know, an addict will go into an MRI machine and they'll be shown images of the drug that they're craving and they will show that the mid part of their brain will completely light up and the front part of their brain, their prefrontal cortex, the part that makes good human rational decision, actually goes black. So these cravings are are extreme and intense and very hard to deal with and they happen over prolonged exposure to the substance so very long time of drinking and some studies have shown that they specifically happen when you start to use the substance for self-medication especially when something specifically traumatic has occurred and that actually encourages your brain to use it in a different way because it does provide this artificial relief to stress your brain gets confused and actually learns addiction and starts to confuse the substance with something that is vital for your survival, something that you need to survive. And so if your brain is neurologically believing that the alcohol is something you need nightly to survive, um, those types of cravings are very difficult to deal with. But there is really good news because I'm going to talk to you about a way that's been proven over and over to really help deal with those cravings. So anyway, that's kind of what's happening neurologically in your brain. But your brain, you know, it has the power to actually change and go back. And neuroplasticity is a phenomenon that the Dalai Lama actually talked about back in the 70s. And that's now been proven over and over again in, you know, brain scans and whatnot. But we, with our thoughts, with our behaviors, can actually change the neurological makeup of our brain. So these pathways that have happened they're not permanent, they're not forever. You can you can heal from this, and that's the really good and important news. So, um, so that's kind of what a craving is. And first I wanna talk about willpower, because I talk a lot about willpower in the book and how willpower, you know, it doesn't work over the long term. It definitely can work in the short term, but over the long term, willpower studies have shown act much more like a muscle and it becomes fatigued. And so you can exercise it, exercise it, exercise it, but eventually it weakens and then you are faced with, you know, you, you break down basically is what happens. But the good news about willpower is that just like a muscle, willpower can actually be strengthened. And again, that's forming the correct neuro 
pathways in your brain, the pathways of kind of denying the need for whatever substance it is. And um, another thing about willpower that's really cool that they're learning recently is that willpower is contagious. So um, there was this really interesting study done about obesity and you would think that obesity spreads like, uh, you know, it's a percentage of the population is obese. You know, that makes sense. You would not think that obesity spreads like a virus that actually, depending who you're in contact with, will dictate if you are obese or not. And if you are in contact with somebody like close friends with somebody who is, you actually have a 40% higher chance of being obese. So it actually spreads like a virus and that's because willpower and what we do in our habits, you know, are contagious. So being around people who are exercising willpower, you know, especially when it comes to alcohol during those times is a really important suggestion. And there's all sorts of great online forums. Um, this nakedmindcommunity.com is just a specific naked mind community that's really positive and empowering. Got hellosundaymorning.org, joinclubsoda.co.uk, and one year no beer. And these are all really great online places where you can kind of connect with other people and get some of that contagiousness that willpower is, which I think is really important, positive peer pressure especially during these times of cravings can be huge um, so willpower is one thing but but the most important thing I want to talk about is um, mindfulness and mindfulness is something that I think a lot of people get confused about like you think that it's meditation you think that, of monks sitting there and you know being very blissed out in some Zen part of the world but you know actually all mindfulness really is is it's defined as non-judgmental observation and it has three components attention awareness and remembering and the remembering is remembering to bring your attention and awareness to whatever you're being mindful of and studies show that mindfulness drastically reduces cravings and there's more studies coming out all the time that prove this over and over again and it's not a hard thing to do it is you know, kind of boring at first. And I will say that that has been my experience, but as you get into it, you find it actually not boring and extremely empowering. So um, there is a study published in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, and it found that smokers who were just briefly trained with mindfulness around their smoking habits, curtailed their smoking naturally without any effort by over 60%. And there have been all sorts of reports of mindfulness reducing cravings. So there was another study where they had two different components to this study and they they demonstrated it was a, a thing where they showed um, again images and craving things that created cravings to people who were addicted and then they did interviews of these individuals to see you know what the interviews what the people reported and then really exciting about this study specifically is that they did MRI scans to see what was actually happening in the brain so the the verbal reporting of the people who were studied said that mindfulness reduced their cravings and they verbally said that they felt more in control and stronger after using the mindfulness technique and really interestingly the mri of the brain um, showed that in the areas that are specific to craving related things so one of those areas is the anterior cingulate cortex actually had reduced activity. And even more interesting is it didn't just reduce activity in the craving areas of the brain, but it disconnected 
the regions of the brain that make up the craving network. So there's a region of your brain that influences craving and that's where you feel desire, the anticipation of whatever you're going to do, or where you experience the stress of not doing whatever you're going to do. And those two emotions can be very intense. So that's one area. And then there's a region of your brain that actually motivates you to get what you want. And the mindfulness study in the MRI screens, they showed that those were actually becoming disconnected. And so further um, reducing the strength of the craving. And um, there was an experiment, another study, I'm gonna go deep into the studies before I tell you how to do it because it's really important that you know that this stuff works and it's very scientific and it's not, it's not just some mumbo jumbo, you know. Um, there was a doctor, her name is Dr. Kelly McGonigal and she has a book, which is a great book, it's called The Willpower Instinct. And what she did, it was called the torture experiment. And so she had smokers come into a room and she had told them not to smoke for the preceding 12 hours. So their physical craving for a cigarette was very high. And she did a ritual with mindfulness for half of the people and not for the other half of the people. And with the mindfulness, what she did is she took, um, she goes, okay, pull out your pack of cigarettes. Okay, look at it, you know, smell it, unwrap the cellophane. Okay, get out your lighter, but don't light it. And so all of these sort of things were happening and she was directing them to go really deep into how does this make you feel? What are you experiencing in this moment? How is your um, breathing? How is the pit of your stomach? You know, what is your mind doing? What are you thinking about? And so you paid very, very close attention to everything about this kind of torture of having these cigarettes that you knew because you were in this non-smoking area, you weren't gonna be able to smoke. And, um, and then she let the people go. And again, this was a study where 60% of them just naturally started smoking less because she taught them to be really aware in the moment and not just let the cravings kind of run roughshod over, um, over their mental capacity to choose. And so the, how to do this, how to practice mindfulness, first of all, you need to clear up the misconception that it's about not thinking. It's not about not thinking. It's about becoming highly aware of your thinking, of what's going on in your mind, and of what's going on in your, in your body in a completely non-judgmental way. So that is not typical and it's not normal. What happens normally is you see an ad for a beer or you see a bottle of wine or you see the cork opener and you, you feel a craving and then you immediately judge yourself and you say, oh, Annie, you're never going to get this. You're, you're always going to be missing this. It's so miserable. And you just immediately judge what's happening. And I think that mindfulness is about the opposite. It's just observing what's happening. You can't judge yourself. That's the main rule. You can't judge what you're thinking. You can't judge how you're feeling. You can't put any labels on it. And you're not there to try to control it. You're just there to observe it. And then counterintuitively go into it and say, okay, there's the corkscrew. How is this making me feel? What's happening in my thought? Where, where am I going with this? And just be really observant of this. And there's this really cool technique. It's called Surfing the Urge, and it's by Sarah Bowden. She's a researcher at the Addictive Behaviors Research Center. And I'm going to include the link below because she actually has an MP3 that's available online that will teach you this entire process called Surfing the Urge. And importantly, like urges, they always pass eventually. 
and not giving into the urge and being mindful of it but not getting into it, that's what recreates the neural connections. That's what makes it so that you are building these habitual pathways of willpower and not drinking instead of you know reaffirming the pathways of drinking. And so um, you both need to break the old habitual pathways and to build new ones. So mindfulness is in the moment being hyper aware without any judgment and then also trying to practice that skill. So where I started my mindfulness is back in November of this year, I just had read a book because I was never, well, I told myself, of course, famous last words, I'm never gonna be someone who just sits around and meditates like for a period of the day, like whatever. Like, of course you say that and then you end up becoming that exact person, ironically. But I had told myself that and, um, but so I'd read this book and in this book, it basically said, okay, all I want you to do is just a few times during the day, just wake up to your surroundings because so often we're existing in front of our phones, in front of our screens, with our coworkers, in our minds, that we just don't wake up to our surroundings. So a few times a day, just say, oh, I'm sitting here. Oh, it's sunny outside. Oh, I'm talking into this iPhone. That's kind of weird. Here's my computer. How do I feel? It's a little chilly in this room. You know, just very aware of what exactly is happening for maybe 30 seconds in the beginning and just start to do that two or three times a day. And all that does is, it's again, the remembering part of mindfulness, remembering that you are, that you exist, and then practicing the hyper-awareness of what is happening without judging it. And it seems like such a simple thing. How can this simple thing of just remembering that I am here, that I exist in this moment, and then not judging it and just becoming aware of it without any intention of changing it, how can that have these huge studies saying that they reduce by like massive percentages addictive behavior and cravings? I don't know, it's not linear, it doesn't exactly make sense, but it is very true. And so that becoming aware multiple times a day I got it really into that and I thought that was really cool and it really opened up kind of space in my day where the day would go by and instead of just falling into bed and being like, oh, I don't even know what happened, I'd be like, oh, these things happened. It was like segments and I could, I could really kind of be more present in every moment because I was present those few times and remembering that. And then sure enough, I decided, okay, I'd read this article saying, Five minutes a day, that's all you need. It's much more important to do it every single day than it is to do it for 20 or 30 minutes, which was part of what was so intimidating to me about kind of sitting with my eyes closed. And so I said, okay, I can do five minutes a day. Let me give this a month and see how it goes. And sure enough, I gave it a month, five minutes a day, and I would just sit there. And all you do is you simply close your eyes, become aware that you're sitting, become aware that you're in this place, become aware of how your body feels, and then become aware of the fact that you're breathing and then allow your thoughts to come, but when they come and you get distracted by them, you just let them go without judging them, without being annoyed with yourself for thinking them, and then become aware of your breathing again. And at first it's hard, like it's hard because your mind just goes and all of a sudden five minutes is up and you're like, okay, I, I wasn't aware of my breathing for like any of that time. But then eventually you can become pretty aware of your breathing for the entire five minutes. And then I started to do it for 10 minutes and now I do it for like 10 minutes pretty much every day and some days I'll do 10 minutes in the morning and then three minutes mid-afternoon and three minutes before I go to bed. And I've always been someone who's suffered from depression and anxiety and I got off all my medication for all of this stuff as a result of quitting drinking, which is a whole other video, but uh, 
you know, anxiety lingers and this more than anything else has uh, reduced my, my need to worry, my need to be anxious um, and cravings, not for alcohol anymore, but definitely for sugar and, you know, fatty foods and, you know, just comfort stuff. And it, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So here I am, I would have never done this before, not, you know, going to get on the mindfulness bag again, but the science proves it. Mindfulness is so important to reduce cravings overall. And so um, there's a huge ton of resources. I really liked Dan Harris's book, 10% Happier, because it was written tongue in cheek and very funny and witty and very mainstream. There was no woo woo wah wah in that book and uh, really just taught me how to do it. So that's the book I would recommend on mindfulness. And then, you know, I would like to give you a few other suggestions on just kind of reducing cravings because I know that while I fully believe that mindfulness is probably the best way that we have right now based on all the science and all the studies, you need other stuff. So um, talking to someone definitely just pick up the phone or again, get on one of those online communities. Distraction with the knowledge that it will pass. So very similar to how, you know, if you close your eyes and you become aware of your foot and there's an itch on your foot and then all of a sudden you become aware of, you know, something else, that itch on your foot goes away, like, because you're distracted. So distraction can hugely reduce cravings. So just have, um, you know, a plethora of stuff to do, whether it's get out for a walk or walk, watch a TV show, read a book, just make yourself a list of things you like to do. Um, changing your environment, you know, if you're in the same environment that you've habitually drank in, just change your environment and just make it a point. And remember that these things, it's not going to last forever. You're going to be able to heal neurologically and inside from, from this, especially when you have 30, 60 days away from alcohol and it's going to be infinitely easier. So this isn't like a life sentence. It's just really to get you through some of the initial phases. Um, and then challenge your cravings. You know, one of the techniques is called opposition thinking. And what that means is you can't actually hold two thoughts, especially two contradictory thoughts in your brain at the same time. So you say, oh gosh, wouldn't a glass of wine be nice? Immediately challenge that. And be like, oh, well, I would have four glasses of wine. Oh wait, probably six or eight. And then I'd have a hangover. And then go really deep in, oh, how bad did hangovers feel? Can you remember? And sometimes you'd get sick like while you were drinking. And that was so miserable. And then I wouldn't even remember what I did the next day and just really go into the thought of, the opposite of your craving. Um, so take control of your thought patterns, use something you know to be true, like how terrible hangovers felt, and just imagine it in careful, vivid detail. And I think that will really help with the craving. And then there's a very traditional way, um, which is called HALT, and it stands for hunger, anger, loneliness, and tiredness. And that's just trying to be aware of the fact that your triggers might be those things. Most people's triggers are those things and try to avoid being hungry. If you're lonely, seek connection. If you're angry, you know, do some breathing exercises, whatnot, and calm yourself down. So um, those are my advice on overcoming cravings. Charlotte, best of luck with this. Let me know what you think. And if anybody else has any other things that they do to overcome urges, overcome cravings, please post them below. And again, this has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.